So today, we're going to be looking at the story of Leah, and we're going to be talking about rejection. So there's, oh yeah, there's the PowerPoint. It's so great. Um, and uh, Mary asked me, my wife Mary asked me uh, a little while ago what I was going to be preaching on, and I told her I was going to be preaching on rejection. <laughs> and this was her reaction. Oh, honey. And she gave me this hug. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you trying to say something? <laughs> And, and then earlier in the lunchroom this week, uh, in the staff room, I was sitting around talking with some other staff, and Dana Lowen, one of, like, we've served together my entire time here, first when she was a volunteer, and then together on staff, and, uh, and so she asked me, uh, she said, so what are you preaching on this weekend? I said, well, I'm going to be speaking on rejection, I'm going to be using the story of Lee, and she kind of cut me off, she's like, never mind, I don't really listen to your messages anyways. <laughs> <laughs> which was very sharp-witted. I appreciated that a lot. <laughs> so, when it comes to rejection, what I'm trying to tell you is I have authority on the topic. <laughs> I have experience, okay? <laughs> but the, the story of Leah, it's, uh, it's a really interesting story. It's another one of these sort of God flips everything on its head kind of stories. You know, like you've got your stories about your, your Davids and your Josephs, the, the little brothers that God came and, and picked this nobody and turned them into something, and you've got your Marys that you didn't expect to be chosen for this amazing task. And Leah is interesting in that she, God uses her in a really profound way uh, through salvation history, but her own experience is sort of only in the nosebleeds. Uh, in the nosebleed section of that. She doesn't get to see all that. But we'll see by the end that, that God still uses her in a really significant kind of way. So we're going to jump into it here right away into the Bible story. But before we get started with it, I just want to do a, a quick sort of poll and survey, hands in the air, who has ever been rejected before? <laughs> okay, good. You are mostly very honest. <laughs> That's very good. For those of you that aren't, then uh, we'll just call in here a little bit deeper before we get moving. Uh, but it, rejection is a common human experience. So just, just go with me here for a minute. Just close your eyes, okay? And I'm going to run through a handful of experiences to uh, gather up the rest of you who weren't honest, okay? <laughs> so uh, any of you, so eyes closed, eyes closed, and just listen now. Uh, any of you ladies who never felt cherished, by your father. Okay, and listen, as we go, okay, open your eyes, look at me again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you just be thankful I'm not making you stand up and sit down. That's what I had to do in church growing up all the time. Um, th this message, though we're going to talk a lot about rejection, this is not a story about blaming other people for our lives. Okay, so don't hear that. We have to choose what we do, what, the way that we respond to rejection. The point is, we all experience it. So as we go through this, I'm just trying to highlight that, okay? So this isn't a big blame thing where everybody gets off scot-free and you get to go out and be sad. Okay, close your eyes again. Okay, so any of you ladies who didn't feel cherished by your father or feel a close relationship with your mom, any of you men who didn't feel like you were a priority within your dad's life, maybe you just felt like he was too busy or there was a disconnect between what you enjoyed and what he enjoyed. It just, just didn't kind of jive. Um, maybe there are some of you that suffered through abuse growing up. For sure there are. Uh, some of you will have been physically abused or sexually abused, emotionally abused. Uh, those of you that were adopted, the adoption part is amazing but you were given up by your birth parents for that. Those of you that were given up by your birth parents. Those of you that either grew up in or are currently in the foster care system. Those of you that ever liked someone who didn't like you back. If that doesn't catch all of us. <laughs> but those of you that liked someone who didn't like you back or got dumped. All right, those of you that have gone through the pain of separation or divorce, those of you that, as adult parents now, you've had an adult child that has distanced themselves from you. Anyone who's been fired, anyone who has had a church leader just withhold a position from you. Okay, so keep your eyes closed. And now, hands up nice and high again. Anyone within any of those categories or any other category of rejection, arms up nice and high. 
Yeah, so good. Eyes open. Welcome to church this morning. <laughs> so the good news is this message is for you because it doesn't matter who you are. We have all lived this. It doesn't matter if you are the most wealthy, powerful businessman or woman in the church this morning. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're a student or a politician. It doesn't matter who you are. We've all suffered rejection in some way within the course of our lives. And here's the thing about rejection. If it is left unattended, if it's left unhealed, then it will guide and inform our attitudes and our behaviors, and it'll impact the way that we relate to people. And that's a pretty big deal. All right? So that's where we're heading this morning. So why don't you read along with me here? We're going to start in Genesis 29. We're going to read through a lot of Bible today because we're going to go through a big chunk of Genesis 29 and Genesis 30 to get through the whole story here, okay? So let's start off Genesis 29, verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. All right, let's pause for a second. So uh, no one really knows what weak eyes means, but suffice it to say the contrast was that Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. <laughs> so... Whatever it means, it's not a compliment, okay? So we have, you know, in this family, we've got Rachel, who's the pretty one, and then we've got Leah, who's Rachel's sister, <laughs> okay? And, and maybe, maybe, you know, you've felt that at some point within your life. Maybe you've been the other one, you know, you've been so-and-so's sister, so-and-so's brother, so-and-so's kid, or as you age, maybe you're, now you're so-and-so's parent or so-and-so's grandparent, maybe there's something in that. Let's keep reading the story and go to the next slide there, Patrick. So Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man, stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. Oh, yeah, go ahead. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So yeah, that sounds all nice and pretty for Rachel. But have you ever thought of what Leah felt like in here? I, I hadn't. But she's the older sister. She's the homely sister. And here comes her younger sister, the pretty sister, who now has won the affection of this uh, stranger slash cousin. <laughs> it's like a Mennonite family gathering. It's, just <laughs> it's a little weird, but whatever. I'm just saying, some of you didn't have to change your last name when you got married, okay? <laughs> that doesn't happen where I come from. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Let's go to the next slide there, Patrick. <laughs> so then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tell us how you feel. <laughs> the Bible's just so honest, right? <laughs> so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her servant. So there are a lot of questions here that I have as I was reading through this. What, what was Leah's role in this whole thing? Like, how did this go down? You know, it, it sounds very Laban-initiated, but, uh, I mean, Leah was the one in the bedroom, right? So what, was, was she just being obedient to dad, and this is just how the culture was at the time? Was, was it actually that there was some desire in her towards Jacob? Maybe she actually fell in love with stranger cousin Jacob too when he showed up. Maybe Jacob was quite a catch. And maybe there was something there. I, I wonder about that. Uh, we don't know for sure. But given the fact that once they're married, then Leah pines and longs for his love for years and years and years and years and years, I wonder if perhaps that could be the case. We don't know for sure, but I wonder. So let's go on to the next slide there, Patrick. When morning came, there was Leah. <laughs> so Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? 
Okay, I mean, imagine this. Okay, so you're Jacob. You have worked seven years for this woman that you love. Finally, you get to actually marry her. And you spend your wedding night with this woman that, as far as you know, you love, you have waited for, and now you wake up the next morning after all that, and here's Leah. Surprise! Like, you, you can imagine, it's understandable, right? The, the rage that was going on, the, the horror that Jacob had waking up. But what's interesting to me is that Jacob has ex- some experience with deception, right? So here, he's, he got snowed over by, uh, by Leah and Laban, but it wasn't that many years earlier that Jacob was the one snowing someone over, right? Because Jacob, by, uh, under the encouragement of his mother, Rebekah, deceived his father, Isaac, and managed to steal his brother Esau's blessing. And so now, here we have the deceiver being deceived. And there's a little lesson for us here in this, just an aside, that you reap what you sow. Ultimately, there is justice in the universe because it is run by a just God, and you will reap what you sow. And Jacob, certainly, that is his experience in this. He reaped what he sowed, and God still used him in an amazing way uh, throughout the course of uh, what he did in his life, but he still reaped what he sowed, and so will we. Now, so back to Leah. Just imagine Leah's experience now in this whole thing. No matter, no matter what her role was leading into it, imagine now you're Leah. And so you and Jacob wake up that morning, and he looks over, he sees it's you, and he is mortified, he's horrified, he's angry, he's yelling, he's upset, he storms out, and she's left there. And this is now after, think of this, this is after she spent the night with him, and he was with her like he would have been with Rachel, the woman that he had waited for for seven years that kind of passion and intimacy and closeness and tenderness, that's how he treated her that night. And then when she wakes up, when they wake up the next morning, everything goes south. Imagine the rejection that Leah feels in that moment. Let's go to the next slide there, Patrick. Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. (laughs) Great. Uh, And Jacob did so. (laughs) He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban came, Laban, sorry, Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her servant. Next slide. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah and he worked for Laban another seven years. There's no secret in this story, particularly it would be pronounced to Leah that Rachel is the prize and Leah is just part of the price tag. The amount of rejection that she feels in that is inevitable. I have to find where I am here. All right, so, like, are are you getting the, the ick? Uh, of this, like how, how awful this would feel for her. I hope you're feeling some of, the, some of the horrid emotions that are a part of this whole situation. This glaring rejection that she's feeling, the scorn, the disdain, the disgust. It's quite possible that she's always felt like the lesser of these two girls, and now she's in this mutual marriage where it is augmented to the nth degree. And I don't know, maybe you've been there. Have you been somewhere like that? I mean, probably... There isn't a lot of you that have been in a plural marriage with your sister. Uh, <laughs> it's probably not culturally common. Uh, but maybe you've been the other one in your family or within your peer group. You know, maybe you've been the homelier one, or maybe you've been the fatter one, or the skinnier one, or you've been, uh, you know, ladies, maybe you've been the one that's been too masculine, or guys, the one that's been too feminine. Maybe you've been the dumber one or the bad one, 
the less talented one, maybe the short one or the bald one. <laughs> you know, aww, <laughs> where are you now, Mary? <laughs> Next slide, Patrick. <laughs> When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. I, I want to give you perhaps the most significant truth that I'm preaching here today, and it's this. God sees. God sees. Though Jacob doesn't love Leah, though Rachel resents Leah, God does not reject her. God sees her. God loves her. And even, even though she was a participant in this deception, right? God sees that she is unloved. God sees Leah crying herself to sleep at night when Jacob is over in Rachel's bed, loving her like he did Leah that first night. God feels for Leah in the sting of her rejection. God sees her. Isaiah 42.3 says, He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. God sees the plight of the rejected. It's part of his nature. It's just who he is. When naming her first son, Leah says of God, the Lord has seen my misery. And there's something so powerful when you realize that God actually sees you in your misery. He sees you there. He has compassion for you. And he wants to meet you in the midst of it all. You are not alone. God met Leah, and continue on in verse 31 here. He enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she, she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Oh, isn't that interesting, right? So here, God, God sees her in her pain. He sees her in her rejection. He sees that she is unloved. And so he gives her this ability to bear children. And so she has this first son. She has Reuben. And out of that, she clearly identifies, you know, the Lord has seen my misery. She knows that it's him that has opened her womb. It's him. But then what does she do with that? Her knee-jerk reaction is, surely my husband will love me now. Her knee-jerk reaction is, thank you, God, for blessing me. I hope that I can use this, that you will use this to get me what I really want, which is the love of my husband. And so because of the way that she does this, because of the way that she handles her blessing, she is still this black hole of unmet desire. She's still responding out of this rejection and trying to fill that hole by earthly means, by the love of her husband, which is understandable. I mean, none of us is blaming Leah or saying that, I mean, who of us would not do the same thing, right? But she's still trying to fill that hole within her by earthly means, not finding her peace and her satisfaction in the God who sees her. And when we respond to life out of an identity rooted in rejection, rather than out of an identity rooted in the fact that God sees us, we too will become a black hole of unmet desire. We'll hunger for human affirmation and we'll become extremely sensitive to rejection. And therein, we become very self-focused. And as soon as we're self-focused, we're inhibited to live out the greatest commandments of Scripture, to love God and to love people. So what are the fruits of living out of rejection? How might you be able to spot this within your own life? Because sometimes we don't, we don't feel it all the time, right? We don't always live in the place where that emotion is right at the forefront. But sometimes it's been stuffed down for so long that we're living the fruit of it, but we don't connect the dots. All right, so some of the fruit. The first one is producing. So what did Leah say again when God gave her her firstborn? She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. And then, with the next two kids, go ahead, go to the next slide there, Patrick. And then with her next two kids, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord 
heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Simeon means heard or hear. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Levi means attach. So Leah was trying to get the love of Jacob based on what she could produce, which was babies. So the question that I have for us this morning, for you, is what are you trying to produce or what are you trying to earn? Whose love are you trying to earn? Who are you trying to win the approval of based on what you can produce? For years, uh, I used my musical ability to try and win accolades for myself. Uh, God, God gave me a natural ability to sort of feel and think in a way that music came pretty naturally for me. However, just like Leah, I, I uh, was limited in, in other ways. And so growing up, I got mocked for being a chubby kid. I, I was. Um, uh, for wearing tinted glasses. I mean, that's no one's fault but my own. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> for being non-athletic, for being effeminate. And so I, I used my musical ability, which was a gift given to me by God, just like Leah had a procreative ability given to her by God. I used that musical ability to prove that I was valuable, to prove it to myself, to prove it to others. I could do something that they couldn't. I was worthwhile, I was important, yet in all of that, one of the things that I longed for was actually to be included with, uh, in the peer group of other boys my age. And so, what, I became skillful at something, and God's used it throughout my lifetime, and I'm very thankful. And, it, and it's mixed motives, right? It's not like, well, it was all this, and so everything musical in me is a farce. Well, no, there were many parts of that that were good, and that God has used and redeemed, and yet that da 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 But the reality is there was this broken part of me that was trying to use it as currency to win what I really wanted. And that was unsuccessful because it just doesn't work like that, right? You can't take a blessing of God and use it as currency to get what you want from man. So that's the first one. The first one is producing. Second one is pretending. Rejection strikes at the core of who we are. We absorb this message like a sponge that we're not good enough, that we're inferior, that we're undesirable. Therefore, we try to hide the parts of our heart that seem unacceptable to the person or to the crowd that we desire to please. And this is obvious in, you know, a middle school or a high school setting. And for those of you that are in high school, we all get it. (laughs) We've been there, we understand And now is the time to start addressing those things. Don't wait until you're in your 30s and your 40s to start trying to address that. Work that stuff through. Be talking about it with parents, with adults that you can trust and love you and have a strong walk with the Lord. Because it's not easy. But it isn't isolated to youth. Because if we don't deal with it as we're going through it, then it carries with us. Uh, Before I worked here at Southland, uh, I was a social worker for the government of Alberta. And I remember that there were times where I specifically hid part of who I was, part of my faith specifically. I kept a, a lot of my Christianity pretty quiet because in my line of work, uh, a lot of the people that I worked with were not very friendly towards Christians. The things that they believed directly clashed with a lot of what I believe. <laughs> Just as an example, the, the social work unit that I worked on, um, there was myself, and then there was a Muslim, and a Catholic, and a witch, and an atheist. <laughs> yeah, it was something. Uh, <laughs> but, but because of that, I, I hid part of who I was. And so then I, there was this pretending thing. I wasn't honest. And not that you need to go and shout from the rooftops everywhere and in every situation where you don't have relationship. Uh, that's, that's not the point. But there were people that I had relationship with that I know I missed opportunities with to share about the Lord because I was doing this. I was pretending. So there's producing. There's pretending. The third one is withdrawal or disengagement. 
Experiencing rejection, it's like touching a hot stove. You know, all of a sudden you feel that and you draw back in pain because it hurts, right? So you draw back and then the thing is, if that happens one time, maybe you can recover okay. Uh, if it happens a few times, all of a sudden you start questioning if stoves are really valuable. <laughs> well, why do we even have stoves? This is a bad idea. Like, they just, you just get burned by stoves all the time. You know, but then the problem is, you, you, we cease to see the benefit of a stove, right? It just becomes this bad, wicked, evil thing that hurts us. And when it comes to the context of people, that is a huge barrier. Because now, if we as Christians pull back from the very people that God has called us to go to, the Great Commission is to go, if we're to engage, but if we're withdrawing because of rejection within our hearts, then we will not fulfill the Great Commission. We will not do our part in being obedient to loving people. And it stems back to this rejection piece. And so we have to be able to be honest before the Lord and go there and deal with that so that we can realize that a stove actually has a lot of really good purposes. There's something redemptive about a stove that God wants us to be able to work with. So withdrawal, disengagement, that's the third one. And the fourth one is control. So let's jump back into the Bible story and let's see how this one played out for Leah. Well, we're going to read through a bunch of verses pretty quickly now just to get to the, the control piece. So, perfect. Thanks, Patrick. Patrick's doing awesome because I completely forgot to mark in my notes where the PowerPoint slides were. <laughs> so, so he's doing great. <laughs> All right, here we go. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. There's a whole message here on Rachel too, but we won't go there. Uh, Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Clearly my stuff works, look at Leah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then she said, here's Bilah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can, bear, uh, she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me, for he has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. Next slide. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, like, at no point, at no point here, Jacob says, well, two wives, seems, there seems to be a lot of fighting and it's not going really well. Maybe I shouldn't go on to three and four. No, no, we just, we're just going with it. That's fine. So then Leah said, it's a good thing God is sovereign, hey? Ay, ay, ay. What good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy am I? The women shall call me happy. So she named him Asher. Next slide. During the wheat harvest... Okay, this is where this whole story just gets weird. Okay. Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? <laughs> Have any of you been at this part of the story and been like, what <laughs> is going on here? Okay, so let, let me bring some understanding to what's going on with the mandrakes. Uh, mandrakes were understood to uh, have a benefit when it came to fertility. Okay, so you can understand why these two women that are like racing to have more babies are fighting over the mandrakes. And also, it was suspected to be an aphrodisiac. Okay? So now we understand a little bit more why there's all the fighting about the mandrakes. So we continue on. Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. <laughs> so he slept with her that night. <sighs> there's a word for that, right? <laughs> Uh, so, 
Leah has gone from self-pity and insecurity to control. Now she brazenly makes this deal with her sister to buy a night with Jacob and equally as brazenly tells Jacob that he's been hired like a stud horse for the night. She really, I mean, she gets quite crass in her approach to get her needs met, right? So she, she takes this approach. Well, if you're not going to love me, then at least I can use you for some other desire that I need, some other need that I need filled, right? And this is another fruit of rejection that you could see in your life where you become demanding or you become controlling, manipulative. You use people to accomplish a different purpose within your life. I'll, I'll tell you this. I think I've said this to you before, um, but years ago, in my early years in the worship ministry, because there was all of that brokenness and rejection and stuff inside of me, it's only within the last 10 years that God has really done an amazing work there. But in the earlier years within worship ministry, um, I, I realized in hindsight that some of what I did back then was I used the volunteers within the ministry to produce music for the church so that I could look good and feel good. And God convicted me of it when he did a major renovation in my heart about, I don't know, seven years or so ago uh, because uh, he, he did a big change in my heart and then all of a sudden I looked around myself in worship ministry and I thought, what's wrong with all these people? They don't love Jesus. They're just in it because they want credit and fame and glory and, or just because they like music or whatever the case is. And God stopped me squarely and he said, they are what you have made them. Oh, <laughs> And he really convicted me in that and showed me that actually my primary calling as the worship pastor was to love them and shepherd them and guide them spiritually in some of the things that the Lord had done in my own life spiritually. But this can be the fruit of rejection within our lives is we use people, and I didn't see it at the time. I didn't see it. I only saw it after the fact. But God showed me that I'd actually been using people in church as a pastor. It's awful. Uh, so that I could look good. No one is immune to this. All right? So, as, as we bring this to a place of application, we're going to spend a decent amount of time actually working this out. But I'm going to ask Charlotte to come out, and she's going to play as we kind of wrap things up on the teaching side. And then we're going to do an application, actually, in the service. Okay, so... Maybe you can identify with Leah. Maybe even as I've been talking this morning, you can feel some of that rejection. You can feel some of that. Maybe you're in a situation right now where it is very real and palpable to you day in and day out, and you feel it on a regular basis. Maybe it's within your marriage. Maybe it's within your family setting, within a peer setting. I don't know. But maybe you feel some of that. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's been buried so deep for so long that all you can see is the fruit of it. But maybe you're living in the fruit of it. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, as you heard some of the descriptions, and as you think about it, as you prayerfully consider it, you realize, ah, actually, there's some producing in my life. I'm trying to win something from someone. There's some pretending. There's withdrawal, for sure. I've pushed people back because I'm trying to protect myself. Maybe there's control where you're trying to force someone to do something that you want them to do. Perhaps the Lord would like to visit that within you. Perhaps you'd like to reveal his empathy for you and his compassion and bring some healing. See, I believe that Leah stumbled upon something really profound. I think she had a really profound experience with the birth of her fourth son and then in the naming of her fourth son. Because with the first three boys, she was constantly pining for the love of her husband, right? Over and over in the way that she named them. But in verse 35, go to the next slide, yeah. Uh, verse 35 here, so she conceived again and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah. Judah means praise. Now, unfortunately, she didn't stay there. Uh, once Rachel started having children, then she started acting out of her rejection again. She gets uh, competitive, and none of the rest of her son's names are as pure and God-focused as this one, as Judah. 
But history reveals the greater story of this whole thing because that fourth son over whom she simply declared, this time I will praise the Lord, this son is the son who the line of Jesus Christ is traced back to. Right? Jesus is the line in the, of the tribe of Judah. Not, not through Rachel, not through the pretty one, not through the loved one, not through the desired one, through the homely one, through the unloved one, through the overlooked one. She is the one who is the mother of the tribe that produces the Messiah. And she had no idea. And that Messiah would ultimately not only sympathize for her, but would empathize with her experience of rejection because he was rejected too. John 1.11 says he came to his own people and even they rejected him. Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected. I mean, who understands rejection more, right? The one who is perfect in every way and still rejected by broken people by people who should have loved him, people who should have worshipped him. Jesus understands our rejection. And he wants to meet us in our experience of rejection, that we might experience his acceptance. That we might stop all the, all the striving, the performing and the controlling and just praise. He wants us to realize that just as God said to Jeremiah, so he says, this to us. Why don't you just close your eyes? I'm going to read a few passages of scripture, and I just want this to land on your heart. Just like he said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Or Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, even before he made the world, God loved us. God loved you and chose us. He chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us, to adopt you into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, not after we'd gotten all cleaned up, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to earth and he lived and he died and he rose again to free us from the sting of rejection. He is our emancipation from the slavery of rejection. He is our deliverer. He sets us free. So we're going to go through a, a prayer exercise now. Why don't you grab, if you've got your journals with you, have those out. Uh, if you take notes on your phone, have that ready. Uh, if you just need to use a communication card, that's fine. Go ahead. But we're going to take some time. There's no rush. And we'll go right through to the end of the service. We'll go straight into worship. There's no rush to get your kids, all right? So just close your eyes with me, and uh, I'm just going to start off with prayer, and then I'm going to guide you through a process of a few different questions that I'm going to ask the Lord in first person for you. So, okay, so I'm up here, and it's going to sound like I'm praying just for me, but I, I just think it's a probably the most helpful way because I'm sort of praying for you in this, all right? So close your eyes. Let's pray together. Lord God, you know, you know, and, and we saw every hand is raised. We've all been rejected. We've all had experience here. So God, I just pray that you would guide us now. I pray that this would be a meaningful, significant time here on a Sunday morning where you can just take a breath, got plenty of time. And would you reveal to us, to each one, God, how have you demonstrated that you see me? How have you demonstrated that you see me? 
some kind of blessing that he's given to you like he gave to Leah. Maybe it's in a relationship that he's blessed you with. been when you were in the midst of sin and yuck in your life and he showed up in just a powerful, profound way. What is one experience of rejection that you want to address in me this morning? One significant, pivotal, relational moment when I felt the sting of rejection. Spirit, would you reveal to us in that moment what lie did Satan implant through this experience? What lie did he tell us about ourselves? What lie did he tell us about you? What lie did he tell us about the other person? Whatever lie it is that you want to highlight. What has been the fruit of this rejection within my life? What's been the fruit of this experience? Have I, have I withdrawn from people? Have I been, become controlling in settings? Have I tried to produce to win someone's love or approval? pretended? Have I hidden my true self? Are the parts of me that seemed unsightly to others?
Spirit. Jesus, would you reveal where you were when this happened? Would you reveal where you were in this memory? Because we felt pretty alone. Felt very alone. But we know in our heads you were there. Would you reveal where you were? just have this as some cerebral exercise. writing, then let's stand together. So those of you that are done writing already, go ahead, stand up. Those of you that are still writing, it's okay. There's no rush. Take a minute. just sympathize with us. You don't just sort of put your hand on our back and say, wow, that must have been really hard. Can't relate to it at all, but uh, sounds really tough. I thank you that you actually get it. You feel the pain of our rejection. Thank you that you empathize with us. And Jesus, I thank you that unlike we as humans, as we try to support each other and love one another, where we're, we, can't, we can't fix it, I thank you that you can. I thank you that you are our healer. I thank you that you don't want us to go through the rest of our life with broken relational patterns based on rejection. Thank you that you see us, that you hear us, that you know us, that you love us right where we are, just how we are. You love us and you accept us. Thank you, Jesus. Would you deliver us from these broken areas within our heart? Help us to walk things out where we need to. 
Help us to pursue further healing in these areas where it's necessary and not to just slump into old patterns, but to be proactive about our healing. That you might love people through us as you've commanded us to do. Many of you very well may need to work this through a little bit more with the Lord, and there are several different ways that you can do that. I put them under the category of a weekly challenge, even though I don't know that it's aptly identified. But there's after-service prayer, which is immediately following the service through the doors on the side, and there are folks there that love to pray together with you. You can go, you can just receive prayer your personal time with the Lord. This is a really significant time, your daily time with Him, your times of devotion, when He can meet with you in a powerful and profound way. And there are prayer sheets, uh, Grace Fast and the prayer team, they have a a whole bunch of different prayer sheets that are available to help out with different uh, areas of life. But one of them is an inner healing prayer sheet. And I asked if she would make sure that that one's like stocked up for this weekend. So if the Lord started to stir some stuff up within you today, then go grab one of those. Take it home with you. Work it through in your devotions. Personal prayer ministry. This is where someone can come alongside with you, spend a full hour just praying through, and maybe it's you feel the the pain of the rejection and you want someone to help you work through it. Maybe you just see the fruit of it and you want someone to help you march it through and get it back to its root, that kind of thing. Uh, then that's available to you. You just have to contact the church office and those appointments are available on Sunday mornings uh, and also during the daytimes. They're no longer available in the evenings, but those other times they are. And then, of course, there's a set free that's coming up May 27th to 29th, which is a really, really good thing to take in if you want to work on some stuff in here. Reality is, this is what it comes down to. We can't do it. We're just not that good. If you could have healed all your own rejection issues, you long would have by now, you and me both. We actually need Jesus. And so our job as humans is to run to him in our brokenness and acknowledge our hopeless deficiency and ineptitude that we actually need him. 